Hey, hey, welcome to the Category 3 Podcast. I have, I am Meet Shah, and with me I have James Shergan. Today we're going to talk about Uncut Gems. <clears throat> Where's the quote? <laughs> I'll have you know, the first two points scored in the NBA was a Jew. Wow. Uh, that is too random to not be true. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Fred Flintstone? <laughs> It was Ozzy Schechtman from the Knicks, apparently. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about Uncut Gems. If you didn't get it, get it based on the random quote that I just quoted, Howard Ratner, the protagonist of the movie. Um, yes, so uh, I just recently watched rewatched the movie. I watched it when it came out. Uh, for some reason, I really enjoyed the movie, and I still can't put my put pin on exactly why. I think the first half of the movie frustrated me a lot, and then the second half just turned it around uh, for me and, in a weird way. And um, so we decided we should do we should talk about uncut gems. What what were your thoughts about it, James? Yeah, we actually watched this film together the first time. That's in, right. In the movie theater, back right. when uh, you could go to the movie theater and not feel like you're putting yourself at extreme risk. That's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of a sweat palm. Uh, just y your palms get really sweaty. It's just like a high-energy movie, almost start to finish. Um, and, yes. like, a lot of it's about gambling. And I feel like this film, maybe more than any other film I've seen really just takes you on that like uh, emotional roller coaster of like i'm not a gambler myself i don't think you are either uh but it feels you feel like a gambler when you're watching this film it's just up and down um so you're saying the first time you watched it you found the first half frustrating and the second half less so was that just the first time you seen it or, or both times because now now we've both rewatched this film separately on netflix yeah i mean um so probably Probably both the times, but I kind of knew how the film was progressing the second time. So I had a grasp on it. But right. the first time it just it just really irritated me. It was it was loud and and it is a loud movie, I mean and and for that first half it is a nonstop loud ruckus that just keeps on going for that like I think fifty five minute mark before it like calms down a little yeah and um that's the movie so let me let me talk about the the plot a little bit um first of all contrary to the popular belief it is not a colonoscopy movie <laughs> sorry uh, just a silly joke um <laughs> given how the movie starts but um with his, uh, let me. So the plot is with his debt, debt mounting and angry collectors closing in, a fast talking New York City jeweler, Howard Ratner, risks everything in the hope of staying afloat and alive. And uh, yeah, I think this, 
this sums up the movie quite well, but there's there's components of basketball, gambling, um, jewelry and gems. Uh, so it is quite a interesting movie all around. It is, yeah. And it's one of those that just keeps you a little off balance the entire time you're watching it. Uh, the energy of this film is just crazy. I mean, this film runs for about two hours and 15 minutes. Um, and uh, the first time we watched it, we watched it in theater. Second time I watched it, I watched it, uh, as I have been tending to do for a lot of films, with the subtitles on, actually. And the amount of dialogue that's going on and the <laughs> amount of dialogue that's going on in the background is nuts. I think during the opening credits, there's like four scenes that are like fully go while the credits are just slowly going. It's like executive produced by Martin Scorsese and someone else. And it's like another scene. Um, oh, so is Scorsese the executive he, producer for this one? He was one of the executive producers. So I don't oh, know wow. exactly what that means, but uh, okay, in the sake of this film, but uh, in the kids of this film, but um, it is interesting. I, I didn't even see that the first time around. Um, but uh, it's a, uh, it's uh it's a interesting watch for sure i mean like the energy i wasn't sure because the first time we see it saw it it was in movie theaters too and movie theaters have a way of just sort of capturing the certain crowd energy um i think there's quite a few people in the movie theater mm -hmm. when we watched it um mm -hmm. and so watching it by myself on netflix on just my normal screen i wasn't sure how much of that would carry over but uh i'm here to say that for me at least uh, uh -huh. almost all of it did nice that's amazing. So when rewatching it, uh, I uh, decided to, like, my wife was interested. And so I, I decided to bring her in and, like, watch it with her. And it was her first time watching it. And it did not, I, I want to say it did not carry it. I'm disappointed to say that it did not carry as well for her. So she absolutely hated the first half. Uh -huh. And then she just had a tough time getting back in the second half. And I think it probably would have been different for her if she had watched it in the theater. Uh, at least a slightly different experience. Right. Uh, and, I mean, I kind, of, I kind of understand where she's coming from. Because she just... It, this movie really, 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 really just, like, fucks up... Fucks with your, like, thinking of, like, how just irresponsible i don't even know what like how dysfunctional a person can be and a person who's just like is he a gambling addict if is he what is he like he's cheating on his wife he is literally having a parallel affair and has a separate apartment for his girlfriend right uh in the downtown uh this is going to be a spoiler filled uh conversation for our listeners as as all or other podcasts have been so yes hopefully uh it's not anything new at this point but um yeah how dysfunctional can can a person be and it just like it takes you to the depths of your imagination right uh for 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 what this movie does i think with this character yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I think you point pointed probably one of the reasons why this film is a little polarizing. I think we're going to talk about that a little yeah. later. Yeah. Um, it's just that, like, this film is, I guess, kind of a just a character portrayal of this character, Howard Ratner, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it, for me, I personally cannot look away from this guy. But mm -hmm. he's also like not necessarily like he's 
pretty opposite of like just kind of your handsome leading man protagonist mm-hmm. that's like really um like charismatic he has so many flaws in this film yeah uh, many of which you pointed out and i could see people just getting immediately sick of watching this guy uh like this gambling degenerate uh in this film um my business partner uh who has pretty uh good taste in films um also had a similar experience i think to your wife to watching this film where he uh he tried it for like 45 minutes and ended up turning it off uh mainly because i i get my guess is for similar reasons um so yeah right at one point howard retner's wife tells him something along the lines of i hate you so much you're the most disgusting person that i have ever met or been with and like just so many insults and then like if i could live my whole life without ever seeing you again, I would take that in a heartbeat, kind of along <laughs> those lines. Yeah. And that is absolutely true about this person, and yet you kind of do want to watch him and what happens to him and what he does. And he's still, like, he is, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, personally definitely. for myself, I'm rooting for him. Like, <laughs> this guy is a total ge- degenerate fuck. And I, I'm rooting him for him. <laughs> 100% of the way. I think one of the... I don't, I don't think I would agree with you all the way, personally, but I can, I can see why. Okay. Like, I, I mean, he has redeemable characteristics. <laughs> like, there are some good things about him, but, like, he has so many, <laughs> so many issues. I mean, like, the, the gambling out of this and the recklessness is just out of control. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, that conversation with his wife was pretty memorable, <laughs> where he's, like, kind of trying to get her back, and she just kind of stares at him, and she's like... Your face is so stupid. <laughs> and then they start, like, going off. Um, and he's just absolutely nice to her at that point. He does not... Like, he. you don't see her, him be... Well, at least directly, you don't see him be mean to his wife even once. I mean, like, yeah. He's not, a- not directly. There are, like, there are things that are going on through situations that are obviously absolutely mean to his wife. But... He is not directly, like, behaving terribly to his wife. Yeah. No, he's not. I mean, yeah. he's cheating on her, but it seems like they have an understanding there, is what's implied, at least. Where I'm sure at one point he was cheating without her knowing, but yeah. I, they mm. they are planning on getting a divorce, is what it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to, like, dissecting the plot and, and specifics about the film again or uh yeah and our like favorite mo- moments or interesting things that we want to call out but i wanted to t- talk about critics and criticism so on imdb it's received a 7.4 uh and i just looked it up last night and that surprised me you thought it'd be uh, higher i thought it'd be higher yeah uh we'll, we'll talk about a couple of other uh yeah. websites here tomato meter the critics give it a 92%, whereas users give it a 52%, which is a whopping 40% difference. Big difference, yeah. Yeah, significant, and, like, really, really on the opposite ends, too. Uh, Metacritic, very, not quite similar, but still closer to that. Uh, 91 for critics versus users give it a 7.1. So this totally surprised me, but then in a way it didn't surprise me as well as right. I was watching it with my wife and yeah. her just observing her reaction to the movie. 
Yeah, there's a pretty big gap there. And my mm -hmm. guess is, I haven't looked up these numbers uh, recently or anything, but my guess is if you look up those same numbers for Parasite, the gap between those two is going to be much higher. And I'm pretty sure the IMDb rating for Parasite is much closer. So I think there's something about this film mm -hmm. uh, that people could find very irritating or annoying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and in a way that, that can just be a little polarizing. And I think that's what makes this film so great. Um, but also what I can totally understand someone being like completely like, uh, fuck this movie. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> I mean, I think both you and I sure. are more in the, uh, the camp of, uh, being fans of this film. Yeah, definitely. I, I really enjoyed it uh, uh, me, me in a, well, in yeah. a weird way. So uh, one other person that watched the movie with us was Inyaki, yeah. who was a good friend of ours. And if I recall correctly, correctly, his reaction was probably not as disgusted as my wife was by the movie and by the lead character, but he was also kind of frustrated from the film. And we both kind of came out going like, wow, this is this was an interesting and fun movie. And he, if I, I don't want to put words to what he said, but it was closer to where he, he didn't enjoy it as much. Yeah, I mean, I guess one weird comparison I'm going to make right here is like, if you're this sort of person that likes to watch like a horror movie and you're just like screaming at the characters the whole time because you find them so <laughs> stupid, don't watch this film because you're just going to be screaming at, at Howard the whole time. Unless that's what, why you want to watch it. Because uh, like, yeah, it's it's sort of like this is uh, it's just one bad decision after another. And, and uh, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, the first half of the movie really, really tests your patience. And then second half of the movie also fucks with you. Like if you're if you're just following this character, it really kind of messes with your expectations and like how like where he takes you to the the absolute bottom by the first half and then and then as he's digging out of the hole that he's created a massive massive hole he still does some things that are just like all right what yeah i mean that's interesting you say that at what point in the movie would you say is the low point like he hits rock bottom i think close to the half of the movie he so um actually well can we hold this question for sure, a little sure, bit sure. and then we can come back to this? So well, we're talking about critics and then, um, so what, where I wanted to take this conversation was, uh, Oscars. So I didn't, I didn't, the movie was released December 25th, 2019. Would that make it? Yeah, uh, it would have been the uh, Oscars. The, the, this the year. Pre and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the parasite season. Yeah. I see. For the Oscars 2020, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, it was basically, from what I saw, it was basically snubbed. I didn't see a single nomination for the movie. I think so, yeah. I think um, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, that really surprised me. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you were to pick certain uh, parts of this film that you think should have been nominated, so other mm -hmm. than Best Picture, I mean, in my opinion, this should have been nominated for Best Picture, especially when you have 10 nominees. Uh, I don't think it was. Uh, but right. what, what else, what other categories, like Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor actress anything like that anything that you think it probably should have deserved some recognition best actor okay. uh i'm not i don't recall if there are any sort of other categories like i'm not too fam familiar with any other categories 
Uh, Howard is definitely the leading man in the film. I definitely put him as best actor. I definitely, I'm pretty certain he didn't get nominated this year. So probably, uh, probably got nominated for other awards and received other awards, but yeah, it definitely um, was around in the award circuit, but, uh, I, yeah, I, th I think you're correct. I'm trying to look it up right now. Um, what it was nominated for, if anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, actor is definitely what I would have done. I mean, I think part of, I mean, what we're talking about, the challenge of mm -hmm. uh, watching this film, a lot of it has to do with Howard, the character, mm -hmm. who is, of course, played by Adam Sandler. I don't even know if we said, said his name yet. And, That's right. And uh, it's like, I think even with Adam Sandler, who I think is just compelling as hell in the role, and you just can't <laughs> take your eyes off of him, um, like, if you with a lesser performance there, mm -hmm. I think no one is watching this movie. I think this movie could be legitimately bad, if you mm -hmm. take everything else about this movie and you just replace it with like a much worse actor mm -hmm. uh, than uh, mm -hmm. Adam Sandler or someone that doesn't have that same energy to the role. At Sandler definitely rises to the occasion, but to to a point, Sandler also feels like he's played um, equally annoying, but probably a little bit more charming characters than than Howard Ratner. So I feel like he has maybe at least a little bit of experience in playing annoying uh, characters. That's true. <laughs> um, but tends to be a little bit more on the charming side too. Um, so Sandler uh, apparently on the Howard Stern show, show jokingly threatened the Oscars and said that he would make a movie that is so bad on purpose if he didn't win an Oscar for Uncut Gems. And probably a joke, but he also, like, I think the call-out was how uh, Academy typically tends to snub uh, crime drama categories. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> it looks like it got nominated for absolutely nothing yeah. for Academy yeah. Awards. So, yeah, um, yeah got to disagree with that one. Yeah. Um, box office mm -hmm. and budget, um, 19 million estimated budget. Okay. Um so pretty pretty standard middle budget yeah yeah and and gross is 50 million us uh i don't think it had a major worldwide release but basically us versus worldwide was essentially the same right i think uh, gross. netflix owned the rights for overseas and so oh, I, I think see. uh they released in theaters here and probably just really seen netflix. netflix and then it only came to netflix here a couple months ago Cause, right, because we couldn't watch it until pretty recently. Right, so yeah. it came to Netflix fairly quickly for streaming than I expected it to, and right, I guess I didn't know this, which is so it makes sense why it, why it came through. Yeah, and I think they own the right, so I think it'll be on there for yeah. ever theoretically. Yeah, a twenty four, um, the independent uh, movie production right uh, company. Uh, fourth la largest grossing film after hereditary which hereditary hereditary that's yeah it's gonna be a pronunciation hereditary yes, is that right yeah, okay yeah. 80 million worldwide ladybird which is 79 million worldwide moonlight 65 million so it surprises me actually i have not heard of moonlight and hereditary 
um, as much. I have heard a lot about Lady Bird. You, you've heard about Moonlight, I'm sure. It's probably just a few years it's, old. It won yeah, Best yeah. Picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know of Moonlight, but just compared to Uncut Gems, I hadn't heard as much buzz around the other two films. Uh-huh. So it surprised me that this was still their fourth largest grossing film. Still, still really stellar. Uh, just surprising. Yeah, um, it is interesting. I actually yeah. would have thought it would have grossed more um, just mm-hmm. because of Sandler and because it got pretty good buzz. Uh, I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier about how the critics tended to like it. I think, yeah. uh, to talk a little bit about the other films, I think Hereditary, which uh-huh. is a pretty horror, hardcore horror film, uh-huh. I think that probably was probably more hardcore horror films. I yeah. personally didn't hear a ton of uh, buzz about that either um, yeah. when that came out, but it's right. uh, I think more of that other niche and moonlight i'm guessing made a lot based off of its uh best Oscar picture win yeah. nomination and win yeah. okay yeah, yeah yeah how about so have you so have you seen these other films the other a24s yeah 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 the, yeah, the ones we mentioned three. here okay. uh i would say all three i i like yeah okay yeah, they're good films okay. i've seen lady bird i think we watched lady bird together maybe oh did we really okay yeah uh and so that was a fun movie but um very different very 100 yeah. but but certainly you definitely get the feel of a24 type yeah. film with with this one too they're investing in um hereditary has kind of like this young prodigy director too and in moonlight as well so they're investing in these sort of like and the safety brothers directed this film yeah. so it's like these young talented up-and-coming people for actually all four of those films so it's yeah. actually kind of interesting because they're they're obviously extremely different from one another but yeah. like they're all sort of like these 30 to 40 year old um, uh, directors, which is quite young for being a director. Right. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll come back to the directors again. We can talk about talk about the movie now. Um, cool. Uh, specific plots and uh, characters from the film. So Sandler, who plays, aka Sandman, who plays Howard Ratner, or Howie, as per the tattoo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, not quite a happy Madison production. Uh, very, 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 very different from what the kind of typical movie that Sandler <laughs> does is does and yeah. is known for. Though he's done some some other pretty uh, slightly off the Sandler, like the standard Sandler. Right. This um, is stuff. this is not the first time he he's hasn't played Happy Gilmore. Yeah. yeah. What What's your feelings on his other films? So I. Uh, so the few that I have listed here are Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Um, I have not seen this movie. I have only seen the very first clip of the movie, and it seemed pretty unique, but it has been on, on my list to watch forever. Yeah. I, I imagine you have seen yeah, this movie? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Um, and I think Punch Drunk Love's a really good movie. I think that's probably like the film that I would think of the most when I think for uh, Adam Sandler so, not doing his shtick, basically. Right. So, yeah. Uh, right. And I have not seen the other two on your list. Okay. Rain Over Me and Click. Uh, Punch Drunk Love also, uh, interestingly, had a had a good cast. So, like, uh, or, well, it didn't have a big cast, but it had Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, um, it was... Uh, so, Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, Anderson, so I mean, really acclaimed director. So, and it's like shorter than most of his films. So, for anyone that hasn't seen it, I definitely recommend checking it out. Okay, 
Uh, as far as rain over me, it's it's interesting. It's a m much more quieter movie than um, than Uncut Gems. I don't think we can compare it one to one, but it it's just like it's just not that standard Adam Sandler movie. Okay, but it's yeah, it's not. I would not think of Rain Over Me as in my list to be ranked as as high as Uncut Gems personally. It is still a good movie. Uh-huh. And I I personally feel like it's more of a feel good movie than uh definitely deals with some interesting issues and stuff. Click I found absolutely and utterly boring because it was marketed as a comedy Sandler movie and then it just turned out to be something else. Okay. And I have not watched it since. You know, um, interesting point there uh, that just you just made me think of this is like I wonder a bit uh, with the audience score and stuff mm -hmm. like that if some of it has to do with the audience's expectations. Mm -hmm. It's like what if people are coming into this expecting an Adam Sandler movie uh, that's like more normal. It's like yeah, people may just be unpleasantly surprised when they're being berated by like. Uh, all this Jewishness in New York and like this loud and fast talking and this really <laughs> brash, annoying guy that's not really doing it for the jokes. So I wonder if some of that uh, comes into play uh, for uh, the audience scores here. That makes sense. Uh, although he looks very different. So I think like if anybody has watched the trailer, I don't want to say that it was marketed very much like a like a typical Adam Sandler movie, but it, it Adam Sandler yeah. definitely has the persona that, um, of of like or has built a specific brand of movies that you know if yeah. if you think if you just look at the name and try to go into the movie, you're not going to expect a standard Adam Sandler right. performance with this one. Well, well, let me set the stage here. It's like you're on Netflix. You you didn't see this in the theater. <laughs> Uh, you just watched Murder Mystery with Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler <laughs> uh, somewhere. Yes. You watched the other Adam Sandler movie set in Hawaii because Adam Sandler wanted to go to Hawaii. Right. And you're like, all right, loving this Sandler guy. All right, what's this other one? Uncut Gems? Looks a little different. Looks but maybe you check it out and maybe it's not for you. Or it's, not, it's just but not But it's Adam expect. Sandler's face on the on the thing with like... French beard, fake teeth coming out from his smile, and has a big ass like gold chain hanging off his neck. You, I think you see all of those when you click on that Netflix icon. But if you're I'm just going by like Adam Sandler, <laughs> like could be a comedy. I mean, <laughs> uh, also an interesting call out to make here is this is his first feature film to go uh, into theaters since uh, 2015 where he did some voice for one of the Pixar Disney movies because he's basically been doing uh, movies on Netflix for Netflix uh, for the last few years. That makes sense. For, so. for myself, uh, Adam Sandler has been more or less completely off my radar for the better part of this past decade. I, 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 as someone that doesn't watch the standard Sandler flick, uh, he's just been, just as far as I've, I know, just not on my radar, so not on my Netflix algorithm. Come on, there's nothing that Adam Sandler has put out like that that interests you over the last decade. Well, I mean, like Aww. especially since 2015, apparently. Oh. Okay, 2015. Fair enough. 
Jack and Jill. Oh my God, such a great movie. Grown ups <laughs> and grown ups too. I mean, you can consider grown ups. That would be probably the last time that I actually called him grown ups. Uh, so it's it's been a a hot second. I mean, it's not yeah, like I dislike enough. Sandler. It's more just like I I don't necessarily enjoy the films that he chooses to star in most of the time. Yeah, uh, Zohan was. Wow, 2008. It's not even this decade. It feels so long ago. Uh, it was another, I don't, yeah, very Sandler type movie. Um, all right, yeah. Uh, Sandler uh, puts on fake teeth and dark mole for this role. Has a very weird look along with his French beard. He just... You almost don't recognize him as... He all, it seems like he also maybe has a tan that's darker than his usual movies. Um, he might have also... He probably put on weight for this, too. Like, they actually... There's a scene where he's at his father's, uh, father-in-law's party and then... Or some kind of Jewish uh, traditional uh, dinner. And then he, like, gets on the scale, too. And they, you, you see him, like, he's, like, 203 pounds or something, which is not yeah. outrageous. But definitely for slightly out-of-shape person for his height, probably. Um, definitely unique, uh, or different look than he's preserved for his other movies. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis uh, called and praised Sandman. <laughs> he, uh, he prayed, he, yeah, apparently, like, Adam Sandler talked about this on some interview, but he said that it was one of the best calls to have with Daniel Day-Lewis. Not that he probably talks to him very frequently, but uh, apparently uh, Daniel Day-Lewis told him his experience of watching the movie and, like, uh, DDL basically uh, hugged the front seat and just couldn't let go of the front seat while watching the movie. Yeah. So apparently he really enjoyed his uh, performance as uh, Howard Ratner. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's the perfect way to process this film. I mean, I wonder if Sandler and the call tried to recruit Daniel Day-Lewis to his newest Netflix film. <laughs> hey, hey, DDL, you want to come to Hawaii? You want to come out of retirement? There we go. <laughs> Grown Ups 3, yeah. motherfucker. You could, do, you could be in the next Paul Thomas Anderson film or Grown Ups 3, starring Daniel Day-Lewis. Bring, bring Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement for Grown Ups 3. That would be <laughs> the headline that would trump all headlines. Yeah. For me. <laughs> that's, that's how you know the world would truly be ending. Uh, but really cool if, like, hearing something like this where another um, such a prominent character actor calls in and uh, uh, praises another actor. Right. I mean, DDL is such a different career trajectory than Sandler so it's good to see yeah. that he appreciates it I mean like DDL yeah. is like the guy that takes everything super seriously I mean you could tell his level of yeah. dedication to his craft is like crazy yeah, um, yeah. like not letting off the characters until uh, right. like staying in a character until then the film has completed shooting which is pretty intense for however two or three many months yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's probably a good thing that DDL wasn't still filming Phantom Thread when he called Sandler, because it could have been a very weird phone call. <laughs> you want some um. mushrooms? <laughs> uh, we should talk. We should do that movie some point as well. I really enjoyed that movie. But I, I enjoyed that movie too. Uh, that movie is 
very weird. <laughs> uh, some of their casts and cast members that I'll talk, uh, I'll just call out, and then we can talk about who you find more interesting. Um, Julia Fox as Julia De Fiore, uh, some kind of a New York socialist who apparently uh, her, her care or social light. Okay, sorry. Yes, socialite. <laughs> She's a burning bro. <laughs> <laughs> also a socialist now. Yeah. Uh, a, a New York socialite who apparently who Safdie Brothers based uh, her character on as well. And um, uh, she and, and her f- feature film along with Kevin Garnett, KG. Um, playing himself. P- playing himself. Uh, Eric... Uh, Bugosian, aka as Arno, aka Succession, Succession's Bernie Bro, <laughs> or uh, Senator Gil Evis okay. from Succession. Got a couple socialists in here. Yeah, uh, The Weekend. I don't know if is it also a feature film for The Weekend. Um, first feature film for The Weekend. I can't recall. Very um, well, might be. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Adina Menzel, or also known as Adele Dazim. As uh, John Travolta uh, incorrectly called her at one of the award ceremonies. <laughs> but I did not... I watched the movie the first time and the second time not realizing it was her, even though I kept thinking, like, her face is super familiar. Uh, I haven't seen her in very, very many movies. She is the singer of Let It Go for... Wicked? Uh, no, what's the Pixar movie? A really famous Pixar movie with the, the girls who can do ice thing. Uh, like Frozen? Our, yeah, Frozen. There we yeah. go. People are gonna kill me for saying <laughs> saying. Don't this worry, the uh, uncut gems Frozen podcast. There, there's not a huge crossover. Yeah, I just checked. <laughs> yeah, great. That's good to know. And then uh, Lake Lakeith Stanfield as uh, uh, Dimani um, is also briefly in Get Out and many other films. Um, yeah, 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 and Atlanta too. Uh, the TV show. Oh, the TV yeah. show. Uh, Adina right. Mandel is mainly known for Rent and Wicked, I believe. So Broadway, so Broadway actress. Broadway actress. Yeah. Okay. And uh, finally, Keith William Richards as Phil. Um, Phil. Uh, Phil is the the goon, one of the goons. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, the main goon who's really, really pissed off at Howard Ratner. Okay. So uh, these are the prominent characters. Anybody that you want to talk about? Anything oh, you find interesting, we can talk about characters, plot. I can, I can uh, talk about any of these. But yeah. yeah, let's start with Julia, uh, Julia Fox. Uh, I think, uh, so I was listening, um, back when this film came out, I was listening to the Big Picture podcast, which was one of the Ringer podcasts. Uh-huh. And one of their podcast hosts, Sean Fennessy, is from um, New York. I think he's from Long mm-hmm. Island. Oh, okay. And so he was talking about how like this is like a real person uh-huh. out there and how it struck him as very cl- very accurate uh-huh. so it's interesting because you and i neither of us are from new york yeah. uh i've spent a few weeks out there but it's far from like being a real new yorker or anything like that and i think the strength of this film a lot of it is just in these super vivid character portrayals mm-hmm. and for me i mean i think the number one character portrayal in this film is of course adam sandler as howard ratner yeah uh but I think the other one that I, I, I would probably put second on there is yeah, Julia. Julia. And it's interesting because I do not know a Howard Ratner in real life. Not even close. Yeah. And I definitely don't know a Julia either. But 
the but kind of from what I've I've heard from like these podcasters and stuff like that, it's actually pretty accurate. So it's yeah. it's kind of interesting uh, in, in a way. Uh, yeah, me and my tech bubble here in Seattle. I don't I don't meet many Julias or, or Howard Ratners, but it's uh, I, I'd say that like those portrayals really help to make the film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think uh, for me they both the portrayals um, felt real, and and to find out that Julia Fox. Uh, Fox's lifestyle is sort of what the character is based on uh, to an extent uh, made sense as to why they seem so real is because they were sort of based in reality to a certain extent. Right. And uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. She's, she's about 30 years of age now, probably 29 or something when she, when they did the movie. Uh, I found it super funny when she uh unzips her skirt and shows her uh shows howie while they're like amidst a breakup or whatever uh that she got a tattoo of his name on her right butt cheek uh uh, howie uh i thought it was hilarious and that i think that was the moment that kind of like relieved the tension from the movie a little bit because that humor because we're that's the point where howard's at the absolute okay. most bottom like he's he's lost a bunch of money he 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 lost more money because potential money that he thought he had won got screwed over based on uh phil and uh arno uh calling off his uh big bet that he made by uh pawning off uh kg's celtics ring <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, very interesting kind of, uh, and very funny and unique, uh, way to relieve humor. But apparently it was also Julia's idea to put that in the movie and her suggestion that, that Julia ends up getting a tattoo of, uh, Howie's name on her butt, uh, to Safdie brothers and they put it in the movie. And apparently based on her real life, where she had apparently tattooed, put a tattoo on inside of one of her fingers of a boyfriend she was breaking up with, apparently. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think you're 100% right. I think that is, to some extent, the turning point of the film, yeah. uh, where it starts to feel... I mean, I still feel like there's significant ups and downs after that, that moment there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what one thing that I think is... Uh, I mean, great choice by Julia, uh, Julia, Diff- is it Julia, Julia Fox, Fox is the, is the actual actor's name. Actress. Yeah, great choice by her there, because I feel like that kind of makes the film, and maybe that, I don't know, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a great choice to do it. I think it works super yeah. well. Um, but uh, I was going to say, um, she's a character that when you're first seeing it for the first time, I feel like it was a character that I could pinpoint immediately mm-hmm. and almost dismissed it as just like kind of just a dumb bimbo love interest that's not going to be super important and kind of the throwaway character. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, and about at that point in the film where she shows the tattoo mm-hmm. and on my second watch, you really appreciate that this character and her relationship with uh, Howard are actually kind of sweet. 
and it, there's yeah. a lot more depth to her there. Like, there's a few points in the film where um, the Safdie brothers kind of choose to swerve a little bit and mm-hmm. go away from sort of what you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting. Um, like, one moment I thought of uh, is during that foyer scene where Howard thinks he won the first bet, and so he goes hiding there. Uh-huh. And it's like, I'm so used to these ones where they go hide, and then, like, the... the, the um, Julia would be bringing like another guy back or something yeah. like that, yeah. and she's like actually cheating on him, and it totally fucks him up. And yeah. that is immediately where I thought it was going. Yep. But actually, it's a much nicer scene and a much more pleasant scene. Yeah. Uh, she she brings a lot more of these scenes where you think they're going to go bad, and then yeah. they end up being kind of okay. Yeah. Um, also, there's um, the stuff with. I want to add a couple of things to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, talking about uh, one about the Julia and 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 Howard's relationship. It's interesting how how kind of weirdly real their relationship is, as opposed to how or more connected and more empathizing each other, as as opposed to how just kind of um, his like there are two women in his life primarily his wife and Julia and like his wife has just basically lost all empathy and sympathy for him. And then there's Julia who, who still kind of likes him or who likes him quite a bit. And you see this throughout the movie and, uh, talking about how like just, um, yeah, what you expect in this movie and then, uh, how things just don't go, where where you're expecting them to go and that happens quite a few times in the movie maybe not as frequently in the first half and first two-thirds of the movie but then the one-third of the last one-third of the movie is where you're like oh my god did he just send her with hundred and fifty five thousand dollars or hundred and sixty five thousand dollars and like yes yes he did and he just he just trusts her and then uh another point where she um goes to the room with the weird, really weird, weird old guy's yeah. uh, penthouse to safety. And then the third point where the old guy is collecting the money. Yeah. And then like all these points where you just, your expectations are completely turned yeah. to a different direction. And like, you, you're just always thinking of the worst thing to happen and it doesn't. And then, um, yeah, the way the movie ends too. Yeah. Yeah, which, which, yeah. Those were the other two I was going to bring yeah, up. Was just sorry. like the moment. No, no, it's fine. Uh, I think we're on the same page here. Um, just the moments where it sort of swerves, and you, like the moment you see the old guy carrying the bags, you're like, "Oh God, what happened? Did he like? Are they betraying Howard together, or did he kill her? Well, yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, it, is he actually secretly in league with Phil? Uh, but and within 30 seconds you see him giving her the money so yeah so, like wow okay like what this so she was yeah. 100% loyal I yeah. mean to the end so. absolutely like she calls him lets him know that she's she's collected the money or like they text each other or something uh, and then how he right. is about to uh, let her in or uh, let the guys in as he uh, yet another expectation that gets turned where Phil's right just shoots him i mean i think it's one of those things where it's like 
the film has a lot more going on than it does just sort of on its like really loud exterior there's like mm-hmm. just a lot of more nuances than you would expect from just mm-hmm. like all of the noise and the shouting and stuff going on here mm-hmm. and if you just look a little bit beneath the surface you, you it's filled with like little details like that that i think really enrich the film yeah yeah um i i definitely i very much agree with you on that um and you see, I think you, you come to see that more and more as you get closer to the end of the film. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, it's almost like the first two thirds of the film. It's like kind of like twenty five percent positive, seventy five percent negative, and then when you get to the second half, it's like sixty forty. It's like a yeah. little more positive, and then for sure, and then Howard gets shot, and yeah. And Arno gets shot too. And the end. Yeah. I did not remember the part uh, where Arno gets shot. I thought he survives. <laughs> and then when I watched it yesterday, I'm like, nope, nope. See, I, re- I remember he sh- got shot, but that scene went on a lot longer than I thought. All I remember mm-hmm. is like Howard getting shot. Uh-huh. And then like I felt like it was two seconds later, Arno gets shot. And then it was like the end. But actually, the scene goes on for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Stuff. They they make it clear yeah. of the motivations of the goons. Right. I that mean, Arno's hired. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, maybe yeah. we talk about the end at some point, but I think yeah. it kind of just shows you the effect that Howard dying has, where you're just kind of like shell shocked for the next, uh, for the rest, of the, for the short rest of the bit of the film. Absolutely. Before it ends. I don't know if there's like a high pitch ringing sound or not, but it it feels like that. It yeah. Definitely feels like that. It's like you're you're definitely in a shock don't know what's going on right and it's so sudden yeah it uh it it just takes you completely off guard yeah um let's let's come back to arno and phil uh one person we can one or a couple other people that we can talk about i think are kevin garnett kg Uh as well as basketball and i know you james here is our pro um basketball and sports person um, so we, we can we can talk to him and see if he can give us pointers on on what's happening, what's not, uh, and understand help us understand gambling maybe or not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about like the brief appearance that the weekend also makes. Uh, I don't have a lot on that. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. Um, so KG Kevin Garnett. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of his performance? And were, did you know he was in the movie? I did know. Okay. Yes. I, 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 I knew he was in the film. Okay. I mean, one of the interesting choices the film makes is, is its period piece, actually. It's not taking place in 2018, 2019. It's 2012. 2012. Uh, when I it think starts the, in 2010, the first scene where we see the... Okay, right, the, right. The mining. Miners in... Uh, yeah. What is it? Uh, Ethiopia somewhere? Right. And then the rest takes place during the NBA playoffs in 2012. Yeah. Um, and the impression I got from listening to a few interviews with the Safdie brothers uh, around when this film was coming out was just that uh, uh, they had a number of different uh, pro basketball players associated with it. Yeah. So it had to be set when that player was actually playing. Yep. So Kevin Garnett, who is now retired as of a few years ago, yep. was uh, one of the star players of the Celtics. But you would have had to go back to 2012 for that to be the case. Yeah. And so the impression I got was they're kind of looking for this subset of games mm-hmm. uh, during that time period where it would actually make sense. Yeah. Uh, so there are a couple of things around casting and timings. Yeah. Um, so it started out with a 
I think they wanted a player that was, or they started out with an active player uh, that was already in NBA, but their casting wouldn't work with an active player because of the shooting timelines that got right. set. And so because NBA playoffs would happen at the same time, they, basically an active player was out of the question at that point. Then the weekend got cast, and so they had to talk, look at the timeline where the weekend was not as popular yet uh, as he is today, obviously. And so, and when he was also still active in these New York clubs and stuff, uh, doing his performances. So then um, that came down to 2012, and then they had to look at games that were close to or in New played in New York, and they had to look for a player that would that had one really good game around that time, one mediocre game, and then another really good game around that time. Wow. And so that's that's yeah. how strict their, like, restricted their casting was. But Safety Brothers being super into basketball probably had a good idea of who these players could be. Obviously, computers can give you more information, but they probably had. Right. Uh, and then, as it turned out, Kevin Garnett uh, fit all these right. criteria, but also was um had shown interest in acting yeah i mean also so, for the film they use the actual broadcast of the games and stuff like that so yeah, that, that yeah, played yeah. into it yeah so yeah i mean it, I, I think it works out quite well here and it shows you sort of the attention to detail to that stuff i feel like some of that stuff might be unnecessary like making sure weekends in new york at the same time who cares really but it's like uh the gambling stuff there are definitely some nut cases that are really into that that want it to be as close to accurate as possible yeah. i have heard some gambling nitpicks about this uh though uh -huh. did you, so let me ask you before we go into the gambling part of it uh, okay did you understand the bets that he was doing i think i understood all three of the bets that are placed at the end mm -hmm. i maybe understood a few of the bets in the first the he makes six bets the first time i know that right he makes three bets the second time I think I don't recall actually any of the f first six bets, but I, I might know some of them. Like I might understand some of them if somebody reminded me. I know. I think I know, understood all three of the first one. Right. The first one is like literally at the first toss. Uh, so last three bets is what I'll talk about. Uh -huh. uh, or do you want to talk about first six and we can come, come to the last three? Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm just wondering if you understood sort of the format of them. Last three are like very clearly explained. Yeah. Uh, first one is literally the toss and like yeah. Kevin Garnett or one of the Celtics members has to get the ball right the very first time right which is a crazy risky bet to have yeah um, <laughs> I mean at one point uh, after the tip because yeah it, it is a yeah. crazy risky bet to have uh, yeah it, like Howard on the last bet was like ooh good because if that didn't work all this is fucked <laughs> and you're just like god damn it <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, the second bet he has is 26 points by kg uh by the end of the game and then the third bet he has at that point is uh celtics have to win that game yeah against i forget i don't remember any of the teams that they play against in all three of those games that are referenced so all uh, of the games are playing the same team because okay. it's the playoffs oh yeah 76ers so it's a best of seven series oh yeah and yeah. sixers are not even supposed to be there is what howard ratner says uh -huh. apparently i don't know if like they shouldn't have made the playoffs i did not follow or i do not follow the season's 
at all not right. even like mediocrely closely so i don't know yeah yeah uh but that that's the that's the argument he cites yeah um yeah i mean so basically uh the the bookies will set the lines uh so they're like garnett uh will get they'll take like sort of like he's averaging 20 points a game so if he gets mm-hmm. above 20 points a game and you put a bet yeah. on points over you win that bet right and sell rebounds and assists and what he does right. is he does a big parlay where he combines all these so that wow. means they all have to go one the way he predicts and oh. then he'll get a bigger pot but if one goes the other way he'll get a smaller pot he gets nothing oh wow so it's kind of like a oh it, so so he has to have all five things hit so it's like if they don't get the opening tip doesn't matter how many points rebounds assists card night gets he lost the bet. My God! So it's okay. A, so it's a. Uh, I did not understand that bit. That's okay, but that totally feeds into Howard's craziness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it totally Holy fits shit. his personality, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Like, both bets he, he put are he, long shots. I mean, does he do the same parlay the first time too? It's 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 a slightly different parlay, but uh, yeah. But it, I mean, it shows you why he could put a hundred and forty thousand down and make over a million, or lose all hundred and forty thousand. Yes. Not just some. Those are the only two outcomes. You could lose it all or make a million. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. The man is insane. Uh, and yeah, I guess we knew that, but uh, I've clearly come to a new revelation of his insanity. Yes. For sure. Um, uh, did you know the first set of bets that he puts? I, probably something similar. Yeah, it's something similar. It's like, it's like six things. So it's like tip, yeah. points, rebounds, assists. Yeah. I think it's like celtics win the first half and then they win the game yeah and then the gambling people uh don't like they say that one actually fly in real life because if you win the first half that's correlated with winning the game so yeah uh for me it doesn't bother me as much but i'm not a gambler but i do know the basics of it yeah um we haven't talked about um so talking about Adam Sandler and Kevin Garnett, uh, we haven't talked about the the main title of this movie, Uncut Gems, and why why it's titled that way. So uh, Adam Sandler, who is a gambling addict, also figures out through watching some kind of documentary that there are some of these uncut gems that are found in. Uh, Wailo mines of Ethiopia. I, I forget what the exact name is for the mines, but these mines. And apparently the miners are some Jewish black people or Jewish Africans who are mining these uh, for opals or uncut gems. And, and it's super hard to come by, apparently. He's trying to sell the opal uh, and... Uh, or auction it off. But before he auctions it off, Kevin Garnett, who shows up at his uh, jewelry store, ends up being really, 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 really interested in the in the jewel while he's observing it. And then and then Howard Ratner, aka Adam Sandler, Howard Ratner just says, Well, this is up for auction and I can't actually give it to you while he he's super interested in buying it. Um Along with that, he has uh, uh, other problems with Demani, uh, who played by Lucky Stanfield as well. Right. But um, primarily, this is 
this is the main part of the conflict and like uh how last minute um kg's games are and he's and how last minute it is for adam sandler to put this gem into auction right uh, and and uh or howard ratner sorry and howard ratner uh is expecting upwards of a million dollars of uh um valuation for this opal uh but because of how he handles this he gets a really really terrible valuation for for compared to what he expected um and has to get his father-in-law to bid against i think it's his father-in-law right yeah it's either his father-in-law his father or an uncle Okay. Something. Something like that. Because I, it, I did see that they have the same last name, I think. So it oh, would make more sense to be... His uncle? I didn't get the impression it was his dad, though. So probably uncle. Um, I thought we'll, it was... We'll look into that. <laughs> I thought it was his wife's father's place that they have the traditional Jewish dinner at. But I could be wrong. It might be his father. So, like, that's how him and Arno are related, I thought. Was both the guys were... Uh, in-laws to the family and so their sisters were the sisters were married to these two different people but I could be completely wrong on that on that front some some sort of family relation that isn't going very well Arnold is married to Dina's sister yeah so he's definitely an in-law yeah anyways I, I think like these these relationships are not very accurately explained. Um, the the guy definitely didn't seem uh, like he was um, uh, Howard Ratner's father because uh, yeah, just didn't seem like it based on the the conversation and the yeah. talk that they have. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm trying to see who that is. Uh, Okay, I think I think you're probably right that yeah. it's uh, it's his wife's dad, yeah. something like that. Anyways, um, so where were we? We're still talking about Kevin Garnett, um, and and his interest in the opal. Yeah. Um, and the the scenes between Ratner, Garnett, and uh, Lakeith Stanfield at times were just amazing. I thought uh, the. The first time when he shows up to the uh, to the jewelry store and he's just going around, just just his height and like his right his uh, height and how like claustrophobic the whole the whole the the main door yeah uh, like and the 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 store feels right it's it's very I think I think it's very characteristic of characteristic of probably the stores that. I have seen in other movies too. Yeah, it was a set apparently specifically built for built for this movie. Oh, interesting. I'm guessing yeah. you've never been in a store sort of like that, or have you? I, I have in India, but it still has a very different feel than what okay it does. Yeah, in the movie, it has a very like it's very lockdown kind of vibe, and that's not how the stores are in India, despite how claustrophobic they may be. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have not either, but the impression I got is quite accurate to the Diamond District in New York. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, so. I think that's a great scene. Uh, Kevin Garnett is like almost seven feet tall, if not seven feet tall. So it's like the way he takes up space is just so different from everyone else. <laughs> uh, so I think you're right about that. Um, and yeah, that opening scene, I mean, uh, w well, that first scene with KG, I think is definitely a highlight because like there's so much that's going on there. It's like his bodyguards have thrown out Phil and the other henchmen and stuff like that. Uh, and like, and for me, watching it the second time and knowing kg is going to break the glass mm -hmm. and just seeing howard tell kg a couple times don't don't lean on the glass and stuff like that i think it's quite interesting um mm -hmm. yeah. because uh yeah and it's just a very hectic scene that's going yeah. on kg and adam sandler i think play pretty well off of each other as yeah. well yeah yeah um just every single time uh kg is just not not happy with the way howard ratner been uh behaves and he is very unreliable of a character i mean we start getting that feel but of all the people we see that howard ratner gets truly confronted by only kevin garnett really uh in the whole movie uh everyone else i has very different ways of dealing with howard ratner but literally yeah Kate, and there are other people who have who tried to have mano a mano kind of talk with hard ratner you see you see one of his right. workers trying to talk to him who hard ratner absolutely dismisses and he just kind of ignores him then he's yeah like, well i guess i'm quitting and yeah and there's no response yeah while he's looking at the opal and yeah. then the only i think the thing he says to you see is like i'm so fucking hard right now i'm gonna come or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh the next next one is lakeith stanfold's character uh demani yeah just like comes around and fucks up his shit and howard ratner just would not respond would not respond and eventually he just puts powerade in or gatorade or something into his uh tank before he leaves with his watches um also, uh, Ratner has been giving away his watches yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. gifts or some loans to different people. Yeah. His watches, which are scams, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? His watches, which are scams, by the way. Yeah. Which I yeah. don't think I realized the first time watching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ratner also, like, it's supposed to be a symbiotic relationship between the two of them, but clearly Ratner does not think that Damani is at the same level or uh, is doing the same kind of work and kind of does not, you I, know, does yeah. not give him that kind, that level of respect. And Right. I and, mean, the whole film, you kind of see the recklessness at which Howard treats his relationships and other people. It's like yeah. the minute KG gives him that ring, it's like he's like getting money as uh, with using the ring as leverage for it so it's like uh, it's like even someone as powerful as kg he's fucking around with and it makes me kind of curious that like because that sort of thing is not sustainable it makes me think that howard maybe 10 years prior was like a little more reasonable as an individual it's hard to think of him being as surrounded with employees and and people as he is uh, yeah. like he obviously be able to survive a, this a, long yeah it had at some point a, probably a better relationship with Damani and, and UC and people like that uh, so I, there, I think there's some evidence that he's sort of cracking up yeah yeah he's 
maybe this is this is a person who we're we're meeting at the end of his kind of or not at the end maybe at the beginning of his absolutely crazy addiction of gambling yeah um and yeah it definitely makes for an explosive movie uh what did you think of the yeah the one-to-one talk between kevin garnett and 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 uh howard ratner uh sort of at the end yeah uh in the office where he gets the cash uh kevin garnett tells him like how much did you actually get this opal for? Like he, he brings up like how Kevin Garnett knows that he's got another person betting against him. Literally, there were only two people betting at the auction and the other person was uh, Howard Ratner's father uh, other than Kevin Garnett who was extremely interested yeah. and was willing to give him, I think, quarter of a million dollars right before even going into the auction and getting into the whole trouble. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that would have cleared things up. Yeah. Well, what did I think of their conversation? conversation. I thought it was a good moment. I mean, it's a pretty complex conversation in a way. Because, yeah. like, uh, like, Howard really didn't make that much profit off of it, especially compared to what he wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but he certainly fucked around with people the whole time, trying to maximize his profit. So... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think. I, yeah, what what were your thoughts on it? <laughs> he so he paid hundred hundred k for the opal apparently. Yeah. Um. Definitely didn't make any profit, but I just loved the way the conversation went, because it it was supposed to be a conversation where maybe Kevin Garnett was trying to tell Howard Ratner about like what what's the kind of shitty thing he did to him and the kind of shitty way he's behaving to a lot of different people. But Ratner just turn around, turns around and starts talking himself into betting on KG yeah, yeah. and his team and his game that night, he d- yeah. which is just such an absolute turn for yeah. the conversation. And, KG- <laughs> and like he... Howard Ratner, this guy who, like, this whole first half of the movie has, like, really just dug himself into a hole, is in the absolute shit bottom, somehow figures a way out to, like, get himself out of the hole, and instead of, like, cleaning everything up and, like, going, like, okay, I'm gonna start out at zero, he goes, no, I'm gonna make this absolutely ridiculous bet, and he talks himself into this bet while talking to KG. And I just thought it was it was the best best conversation I have seen in a movie, and and how it takes turns so quick. Yeah. Um, and Katie's just kind of like befuddled by the whole thing. Yeah, he he literally the he literally starts going through and like go goes like, let's let's look at the bets, KG. Let's let's look at the the kind of ratings you're getting, and KG's like, we're gonna talk about this now <laughs> like while i'm in front of you too like you're betting on me while i'm sitting in front of you and he like there's a level of befuddleness but i think kg is also weirdly i don't know he's not pissed off but he's kind of 
in a more positive direction because of the kind of trust that it was almost a pep talk yeah to do something absolutely shitty for howard ratner yeah it is <laughs> such a weird weird scene but like totally you can't take your eyes but away. you you're with him you're with him at that that's the point where you, you you're absolutely with him right yeah i mean well kind of you're like oh i don't know <laughs> like I want that guy to win. I want that guy to come out alive. I want that yeah. guy to come up, come out I mean, on the top. That's why when and he eventually talk, does win, you're like, "Fuck yeah, yeah, go Howard!" And then, and then he dies. <laughs> yeah, good shot. Uh, you know, um, a certain way that ending's still kind of uplifting in a way because he did win the bet, even yeah. though he ended up dying. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is a interesting scene with KG. I, I will say one thing that's kind of interesting to note about the whole thing is that. Uh, the two people that believe the most in KG and the Opal seem to be KG and Howard. And I, I, I really doubt anyone else has any faith at all in, in the Opal at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, nobody bet on the Opal. He definitely talked it up at the party or at the, 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 the ceremony. Uh, that night with his father-in-law's place, but other than that, you don't, you don't see anybody being interested in it. Yeah. Uh, thought it was, yeah. I mean, people are interested in how much it's worth, but I mean, other than that, it's like, yeah, people don't seem to be like KG and Howard. The one thing they connect on is that Opal. Opal. They both find it to be yeah amazing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought I thought it was an amazing conversation. Um, let's see, moving on. The weekend, the brief, uh, yeah, on screen time with the weekend was pretty great. Yeah, uh, I thought it was pretty hilarious that, uh, yeah, the 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 Julia and the weekend in the bathroom, and Julia, like trying to convince Howard like nothing happened which it seemed like nothing happened she was yeah telling the weekend to back off yeah she was um, I thought it was interesting I wouldn't have expected the weekend to do such a role <laughs> I mean he kind of looks like a dirtbag uh I think he kind of has that reputation to be honest um, probably are you familiar with the weekend I I've heard of some of his songs okay. but not a like I don't follow him or yeah. anything like that. I mean, so. I think the funny part about setting it at 2012, too, is, like, uh, that's, like, right around the time of my life where I was, like, 25, 26, uh-huh. where I was actually going to live shows fairly often. Okay. So it's kind of so, funny to see. So I don't know that I actually saw The weekend, okay. but, I, but I was going to shows a lot when yeah, people yeah. like that were touring. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting for me to see that just on the basis that I was like, oh, The weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was funny, like, Julia's, rea- like, Julia's defense was like, Howie, nothing happened, we were just doing some coke. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, yeah. one of the best lines. <laughs> like, alright. That's just... And then, I, I mean, I also like how they sort of have their big stormy yelling at each other. Yeah. And then she walks past the line and she's just like, fuck you all, oh, fuck yeah, me. Yeah. 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 There's a reason you're waiting in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was... Yeah, that was, that really, like, their breakup was actually more sort of sad than anything else for Howie. 
the whole time. That, I think those were the two, actually that and, and him thinking that he had won the bet, but then eventually finding out that uh, Arno had pulled his bet off. Those were the two like super demotivating or like kind of sad moments in the whole movie, I thought. Be, yeah, besides him dying at the end. Yeah, I mean... I, in a certain way, like, as far as the emotional arc of the film, they're, they are a bit sadder, too. Yeah. It's all, it's kind of, the, the ending is so weird. It almost, I feel like the film still sort of leaves you with this weird, uplifted feeling. Yep. Just the fact that he won. Yeah. Uh, even though he died. Yeah. But he went out on a high note. Yeah. So it's, like, strange, because, like, the dude fucking dies at the end. It should be a sad ending. But it happened so unexpectedly and suddenly... And you've been feeling the culmination of this bet that it feels uplifting in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uplifting. Um, but yeah, those were the two things that like made me think of... Made me feel sad for Howard. Like, we were kind of aware... We were already pretty well aware that uh, he was going to split up with his wife yeah he tries to like get back get things back together which didn't make sense obviously and like yeah. if expecting his wife to just like forget everything and be okay obviously didn't make sense your so. face is so stupid <laughs> um <clears throat> talk about eric eric bogassian as arno and then um uh, Keith William Richards as Phil. Um, those were both fairly kind of interesting characters. We know, we yeah. know Arno or as Bernie. Yeah. Succession Bernie. Evis. Yeah. Bill Evis. Very different. I did not recognize him as, as. I didn't either. I mean, to be Bernie. honest, I, I. You had to tell me that it was him eventually. Yeah, I think I just randomly ran into that on Twitter or something and I was okay. like, oh, really? Wow. Was like I had no idea. Uh, I think uh, his role is also another one that's kind of interesting to see because uh, that's a role where you get the two uh, sides of the coin too. It's like you see him, and then you also see him sort of being awkward at the at the family get together, and him being crapped Obviously. on a bit, and then actually Howard defending him a little yeah. bit. And so it's just sort of interesting to see that uh, that double dynamic where he's not just like this guy that uh that loan howard money he's actually fucking related to him yeah and uh and it adds this whole interesting uh like sort of subtext to it yeah 100k is it's a lot of money it's a, it's a good amount of money but... i mean i he, i mean his mistake was loaning it to howard in the first place yeah maybe he didn't know the kind of person howard was or this is again like where we talked about people leaving Howard and not, you know, this was kind of the new Howard at, that people weren't aware of yet. Yeah. And where he had descended to. Um, yeah, the car car scene, the whole running around his daughter's uh, high, school play. high school play event, um, then getting stripped down right completely naked uh, getting beaten up, all of that was was crazy. 
Yeah, I like that scene too. Yeah, uh, starting from him, like getting chased by those two guys and sort of going backstage in the play and stuff. Yeah, and then finally getting humiliated and forced to uh, text his wife. Yeah, uh, and then the other funny part was I like how they show him coming out and going into the play, and yep. then he starts watching it, and then they show the coins coming out of like his daughter's mouth or something, <laughs> and then he's like, he like legitimately seems to like it. <laughs> his, his, uh, that shit cracked me up. Yeah. In his sweat sweats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and he's just like, I was like, wow, this guy can just go from that. Because it's like, if that ever happened to me, I'd be in such a fucking bad mood. Yeah. For like the next, like, I would be next month. Like hell. I know. It's like, I wouldn't want to like, come I'm out of my going bed. back in there. I'm fucking waiting in the car for that shit. But the guy comes out and then, like, legitimately and then kept keeps giving his daughter compliments afterwards saying how great it is i mean it just shows you the the sort of person that uh, uh what did you is. think of his conversation with his daughter uh it felt realistic honestly yeah. it's like i thought i thought I, it felt like he was trying to maybe get some information out of his daughter as well which like, part because because of the conflict where he has with his wife uh, right after the play, he has the, he, like at his home, he tries to have the conversation with his daughter uh-huh. about, while she's on the phone, about like how he loves her and how he, uh-huh. like, is something happening and, you know, something along those lines. So I thought that was a very, also super awkward conversation that he has with his daughter. Yeah. And yeah. either his daughter was absolutely clueless or she knew that his mom was going to, her mom was going to live him leave him and um and she was fine with it like yeah but you you don't get any idea of whether she knew or not but i think that was felt like that's what he was trying to do but i could be wrong okay interesting actually my mind didn't go there i'd have to rewatch that scene because he's also at a point where he is sort of reconsidering being getting back together with his mom uh, with I uh, actually at that his wife at that point I'm, I don't know that they were I think that was right before the weekend show, or was it? Or the, the week I thought the weekend show happened after that, because that's where he hits the low point with Julia. Did it? Oh, okay, because they go from oh they don't go from the play to yeah yeah, yeah. never mind yeah okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're right the um, show happens after yeah he goes to the weekend show. Then the Jewish event happens right. at his father-in-law's place. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Arno and Phil. We still, I, I think there's maybe a little bit more to discuss. Phil, what did you think of Phil and his demeanor towards... Um, towards... Um, Ratner, yeah. Howie... I mean, he's just kind of just rough and tumble the whole time, really. I mean, and he ends up killing him, too, so. Yeah. It's sort of interesting to see uh, the film a second time, too, uh, because some of the characters, like, his character, maybe more than any other, seems like, it's like, you know that sort of character, the purpose is, it's supposed to put pressure on Howard, it's like the hitman, yeah. and, like, just roughs him up and stuff. But he's actually, throughout the whole film there it's like 
yeah. we're watching it a second time you just see him from almost just the first scene he's just like hanging yeah. out in howard shop and being a pest so it creates that feeling that this guy's just always around so yeah yeah I, I i mean i don't have anything amazing to say about phil or any great analysis yeah. but it's interesting to just sort of see that sort of cyclical thing where he starts in the shop yeah. just kind of hanging out ends in the shop ends up killing howard yeah yeah howard's not not a good guy yeah but like of all the people i think phil has the least amount of respect for howard clearly not i mean at the end i mean like you see there's a big break uh between arnold and phil where arnold ends up getting it too uh Yeah. yeah and probably for the same reason because arno was kind of okay at that point but phil was just like fuck this guy and fuck you for defending this guy at this point yeah uh and just kills both and and the funny part is i feel like phil doesn't have much of a chance to get away with it either i mean yeah probably cameras and shit like it's a jewelry store she's trapped in there you have to go through another jewelry store at the bottom they've seen them a million times but at, and around the store maybe phil is the stand-in for uh your wife ekta and uh <laughs> and, and the other audience members which is like maybe there's like maybe the uh 48 of the audience that didn't like it on rotten tomatoes is just rooting oh, for yeah. phil and, and phil shoots him they're like fuck yeah. yeah fuck yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know Italy. it would have gotten then it would have had a hundred percent right well, maybe they all tuned out before, <laughs> before they figured out. Yeah, the they're like, wait for the end. Wait, wait, Phil's going to kill him. super uplifting end. <laughs> um, yeah, he he's also super physical to Howard throughout the movie. Howard gets assaulted at least three times before he gets killed. Probably more by Phil. Uh, um, it is intense. Yeah, I and mean... Yeah. I mean, the one scene that I remember being super physical is the one where, after the auction, where he sort of gets the wind knocked out of him, mm-hmm. uh, and then mm-hmm. uh, he still falls him around, and they yeah. toss him into the fountain thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. So, I think, like, the, so watching the fir- ti- first time, you might have not expected Phil to kill Howard, but... Did it make sense for you? It makes sense as an emotional reaction. I feel mm-hmm. like it doesn't make sense in the sense that like they should have what they wanted all along, the money. Right. Yeah. Unless maybe Phil had some... I don't know. No, it doesn't make rational sense for Phil to kill. Because even if he was planning on like killing him later, he should get the money first. Like, rob that $1.1 million or whatever it is. I think Phil just didn't care about that. I, I think so, too. I think it's yeah. a emotional... Like, rationally, for anybody, it definitely didn't make sense. But I yeah. think for Phil, it was... He was beyond that point, I think. Yeah. Like, it made sense for me in that he absolutely just did not respect Howard. And then he he was just fed up of this guy at this point. So he fucking killed him. In a way, I thought this movie reminded me of uh, somebody who talked about karma recently in a slightly different definition in that they said that in Hinduism, karma is defined as a pure de- pure 
sort of one-to-one transactional uh, way of looking at things. But I think in a general sense, you can still think of karma as the more bad things you do or behave badly, uh, the probability of you getting the butt end of the bad things coming back also goes up. Uh And Howard is sort of this person who is constantly behaving terribly to a lot of these people, uh, different people. And uh, at one point he he gets the really shitty end of it back. Okay. Essentially. So it's sort of like karmic retribution retribution yeah it's in a and not in a one-to-one sense but it's just like it's just the shitty thing was kind of bound to happen to howard based on his constant behavior with right oh with more a lot of, of this almost everybody he interacts with basically right yeah of just being bad yeah. uh it's interesting you mentioned that because i wasn't going to talk about this but uh there was a safety brothers interview where they were on one of the podcasts uh-huh. And they talked about it not in terms of Hinduism, but in terms of Judaism uh-huh. and how, like, that is one interpretation. Because the, the Safdie brothers are Jewish. This uh-huh. movie is obviously also super yeah. Jewish. A lot yeah. of Jewishness going on here. Uh, neither, most of which were probably not the ideal people to talk about uh, because neither of us are Jewish. But uh, uh, they talk about how that uh, how, about how that's one reading of it, too, is sort of like karmic retribution and sort of like the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... I don't know a whole lot about the, the... The Jewish scriptures and how they kind of... If they have a similar thing to karmic retribution, specifically right. in Jewish culture. But I thought, I yeah, that's kind of... It was interesting. It totally, like, when the person talked about it and when I was watching the movie... Uh, that's what made me think. I don't know who mentions this. Pro- probably some co- podcast that I was listening to uh, that the person talks about karma. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, this is mostly what I had on characters. Anything else that we forgot to call out or talk about? Uh, I want to talk about a couple more things besides the characters and the main plot. But I have nothing else on characters. I did have one stylistic thing. I don't know if now is the right time. Let's do it. All right, well, the one stylistic thing was going to do, I was saying that uh, the second time I watched this, I watched it with the subtitles on in Netflix. Uh-huh. And it's interesting because there's a lot of stuff going on. Are you familiar with the film director Robert Altman? Uh, maybe. So, I sort don't. of a 70s director. I uh, did, like, I guess Nashville and, and Shortcuts and the MASH movie. Anyways, he's most famous, or, or one of the things he's famous for, I guess, is just having uh, big ensembles, and during mm-hmm. those big ensembles, there's, like, a lot of overlapping dialogue, so mm-hmm. people could be talking, but other people in the background are also talking. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things with this film is that there's a lot of that going on. Yes. But the, uh, sort of the, what they choose to do the film on um uncut gems it's like a thriller uh mm-hmm. which is a different genre than the bulk of robert altman's films which tend to be more just dramas and stuff okay. like that so it's interesting to sort of see it a, a similar thing going on in the context and but in a very very different film and just having all these different conversations so having the subtitles on there's a lot more i was able to pick out uh, honestly, mm-hmm. like the amount of dialogue in this film, I think is far more than you would ever get in uh, your average two hours and 15 minute film. Uh, and kind of what I was saying, it's just like uh, during the credits, it goes through like several scenes. 
there's a couple side plots going on. It's like the the part with the employee that quit. I don't even know if I picked up on that much of that with UC because yeah. during the whole time when he's quitting, it's like Howard's fixated on the fish. And to be honest, you as the viewer are too. Yep. You're paying far more attention to the fish and Absolutely. the gem. And uh, he, to, to quote Howard, it's like, I'm so hard, I'm going to come. <laughs> the guy's going to quit. Uh, and then like later on, there's a shot of that same guy working at a different store who kind of observes Howard and looks sort of wistfully at him. And Howard, I don't think, even sees him. And yeah. so there's just, like, a lot of moments like that. There's uh -huh. the watches that, uh, 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 did not, what's his name? Damani. Yeah, Damani yep. has. Yep. And, like, you... He does this similar like, thing I, while I, he's talking to his doctor about his colonoscopy. Yeah, yeah. And the doctor's just like, <laughs> I'm going to hang out now. Uh, so there's just, like, so many different layers. Like, yes. There's, like times when he's like on the phone line yes. hangs up does other stuff yeah threatens litigious action but yeah. then like just drops that line one moment later um and i just really like it it creates like a really unique sense of place and style and stuff like that and i suit, think it suits the film perfectly yeah a really good call out actually yeah, yeah yeah uh he also i think yeah a couple of other instances would be uh when he goes in to put the bet and then the very first time with the bookie at the restaurant and then just gets the fuck out yeah. because he realizes that KG, KG is, is there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, and the bookie's like, finish the bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's a very multitasking individual. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to quite say it, but I feel like somebody would probably say this film is super ADHD. It's just all over the fucking place. That's, interesting yeah. yeah like i like that's a lot of today's world too like while you're talking to somebody and you're getting a text or yeah you're looking at the internet but somebody's trying to have a conversation with you but you're also yeah trying to do a third thing i i hear my friends kids watch youtube while they're playing video game while talking to their parents at the times at times and i just i don't know how somebody can multitask like that it seems <laughs> yeah. intense i mean you think about it as just sort of like you have like your internet browser firefox or chrome open and yeah. you just have all these different tabs and it's like someone like howard is just like constantly opening up these different tabs, tabs. and you know maybe he comes back to it and closes it maybe he doesn't yeah. and there's just like 80 of them open i mean that's kind of <laughs> what there this are people at like. the at most of his tabs and like in our case we're we're talking about tabs but in his case he's having conversations with these different people so he doesn't have um you know like what i'm trying to say is when you open a tab it's some server it's not a person but in howard's case it is yeah, yeah, yeah. people at the other end right 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 that he's he's yeah but i agree with your analogy just just yeah. also adding to it mostly um all right um uh, safety brothers i don't have a whole lot i think we kind of went through and talked about most of their stuff i don't have anything specific to call out i will call something if you do want to talk about their movie or any other movies or anything like that i haven't seen any of their past movies so this was my introduction to safety brothers specifically by this movie right i've and just I really liked it yeah i've just seen a couple i think probably the most logical uh comparison for this is good time which i think is the film they did prior to this yeah. which stars uh mr twilight robert pattinson yeah in the lead role um and is 
kind of like a heist. Yeah, the new Batman. It's a heist movie, um, similarly fast-paced. It has a lot of the same energy. Uh, The people that did the soundtrack for this one, uh, on the old tricks point, never do it there, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it kind of has this similarly kinetic feel. I think that one takes over the place of maybe just 24 hours. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, I I think Uncut Gems, uh, rightfully so, is probably going to be their film they're most well-known for at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I don't think it's quite on that level, but it is a good film. Okay. Awesome. I have not seen the good, I have not seen Good Time, but you make me want to watch it. So yeah, I'll see if I can. I mean, both of the Safdie brothers are, are pretty young individuals too. So I think they're film directors to continue to watch. Okay. Awesome. I look forward to what they do next, but I think the, one of the Safdie brothers is actually in the movie Good Time as well. Yes. Right. They, they I, think, I believe that is correct. Yeah. Okay. The only one last thing that I really wanted to call out was, was um, the whole time, the one thing I kept thinking back to uh, throughout this movie, as I kept thinking how crazily dysfunctional human being, how insanely stupid Howard was, I was also thinking about pain and gain in a weird way, huh. in a very sort of how the lead lead characters of the movie are just so uh, utterly and ridiculously stupid and moronic. And Howard is maybe not that stupid, but something, Yeah. somewhere he keeps making these decisions, which I just can't grapple with. And I think if I showed my wife pain and gain, she would be probably equally pissed if not more watching this movie i mean the funny the other thing with both of those films is like they both have really big actors yeah. in the leads like the rock yeah. and and uh Mark yeah. Wahlberg. uh so and- pain and gain is uh for for people who can't recall or haven't seen it's a trio of bodybuilders in florida get caught up in an extortion ring and a kidnap kidnapping scheme that goes ter- terribly wrong it has, uh, yeah, Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, and Anthony Mackie playing these uh, uh, yeah. uh, bodybuilders. Are you a fan? And it's been, uh, it, it's directed by Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. Uh, Are you, do you consider yourself a pain and gain truther? Are you a fan? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm specifically not a huge Michael Bay fan either, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I do I do is, like Michael Bay movie, movies. Michael I Bay. won't say that yeah. I don't like Michael Bay movies, but a lot of his newer stuff has not... Something that has interested me is, is probably a better way of putting it. That's fair. Uh, That's if fair. you call out The Rock and uh, The Island, those were kind of the movies that I like. Uh, very different than... than than uncut gems for sure yeah but kind of similar in the in the way that the majority of the time these lead actors that take up the screen are just making absolutely terrible decisions right a very different character still yeah i mean i think it's kind of interesting in a way uh uh uncut gems is i think a lot more focused on one character than mm-hmm. pain and gain Pain and Gain is often called sort of like uh the the michael bay does like the Cohen brothers uh, so I could kind of see <laughs> okay. the comparison of like, you think of, about like burn after reading or something with Brad uh, Pitt, Brad Pitt uh-huh. playing just like a big dumbass. Uh-huh. Uh, and 
it's kind of fun in a, in a similar way. For uh-huh. me, I, I think I agree with you that uh, Adam Sandler's character, Howard, is not quite on the same level as there. <laughs> He's just as reckless as these characters, mm-hmm. but uh, is more intelligent and can function more normally, I think, mm-hmm. than, than these uh, Florida, <laughs> Florida men. Uh, so, Fair enough. Um, all right. Uh, anything else you want to call out? Oh, recasting. Howard. Would you would you be able to recast Howard with somebody? Oh, jeez. Who could possibly play it Howard? It is super tough to you gotta find get... somebody that is as raucous and rowdy and loud and like... And so, also yeah. Jewish. And actually, I wouldn't have casted Adam Sandler to begin with. Yeah. Um, like, um, the people, like, if we think of... Adam Sandler's careers, career and like people that have had careers parallel to Sandler. Yeah. Maybe like people that come to mind would be like Jim Carrey or uh, Ben Stiller or so I got Kevin one. James. So you got to go a little younger. Yeah. Uh, but in, in fact, I almost feel like this has been said before, but I don't remember exactly. Okay. Just Jesse Eisenberg. Ooh. Interesting. He'd obviously be very different. Yeah. Than, oh yeah. Than Adam Sandler. He doesn't have. He has. He has the equal amount of like the talkativeness and the chirpiness, but he do, I don't think he has. You would feel the same energy. Yeah. He's very like nervous, kind of. Yeah, he has a lot yeah. more nervous energy uh, than. Uh, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler yeah. like kind of exudes confidence in a yes. certain way yes. that uh, Jesse Eisenberg does not. not. I think no matter who you cast, it's not going to be quite the same as Adam Sandler. Sandler. So you'd kind of have to just sort of shape the mold and make it a little different, I feel like, depending on who you cast. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and I want to say that neither of the people uh, that I called out earlier would, would, would be my first or anywhere close to my choice. I think Safety Brothers maybe had Sandler in mind already. Like it I doesn't so. seem like there were any other challengers to I think Sandler him. was their first choice. Yeah. The impression I got was like they couldn't get him at first and then later on after they had a couple of mild successes they were able to get him. Right. Okay. Um Yeah, apparently Sandler's wife convinced him to do it after reading the script. Um, um Julia Julia probably nobody because that's who the character was based on Julia Fox so you don't think they should recast it with ScarJo <laughs> ScarJo has done similar-ish <laughs> played similar-ish yeah. character I don't know if like she falls right in there yeah but she's the done the not enough Asian yeah what was it the <laughs> Don Johnson or something was the movie that uh, Don John I don't know I forget what her movie was with the guy where she has a slightly similar character. Uh, not quite the same. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 th- yeah. I don't think you should recast Julia. Yeah. Apparently she had trouble uh, getting casted because the because she had not done any acting before. And so like all of a sudden, skill. based on the funding that the Safdie brothers got with the larger... Uh, production uh, theaters, production companies involved that they wanted a more experienced actress for this. That makes but sense. She, yeah, 
I mean, and she did really good job, and she, she did. Like, I mean, you think about it, uh, it's like you don't usually put these two together, and I don't even know if they act really together much, but it's like both KG and KG. Julia. Uh, I keep getting her real name and her character name mixed up. Julia Fox. Uh, mm-hmm. Two completely novice actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and casting them in arguably the second and third largest role in the film. They really pull so it off in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, especially casting them next to, like, someone as, as like, like Adam Sandler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, but, but Adam Sandler, I think, doesn't show that much, hasn't shown that much range in acting over his career. He, like, we talked about a few of, the, a few of his past movies, and it's not, like, Daniel Day-Lewis, who right. kind of is such a heavy and strict performer that you need to have, like, trained actors around him. Right. I mean, I feel like for some, for someone like Sandler, that's partially by choice, at least just choosing to make these other films. Yeah. Don John was the movie that I was trying to call out. 2013, it was a movie of Scarlett Johansson with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. I haven't I haven't fully seen the movie, but it seemed like Scarlett's character was close-ish, uh, similar-ish to Julia Fox, but probably not the same though. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, I almost don't know if I would recast anybody else in the movie. Yeah, I mean the rest of the cast, I feel like they really fit into the sort of this New York Jewish background just really well mm-hmm. and it's hard to recast that i mean and we're probably also not the correct people to know who exactly to recast yeah fair enough all right uh anything else that's all i got all right we're finally gonna call it off thank you thank you all for listening to uh category three podcast uncut gems we'll be back soon with you guys with another movie see ya